Hello and welcome to Sheffield Board Gamers podcast. Uh, this is an extra episode uh, in celebration of our 50th anniversary of the podcast. We've done 50 episodes, so this is an extra episode. Before we actually started doing the podcast, we did a couple of test uh, recordings just to see how we were going to go about it, what we we're going to talk about, get all the technical stuff out of the way. So we did uh, a couple of recordings before we actually released episode one, uh, and this is a short clip from uh, episode zero, which is like one of the first episodes that we did. So on this on this uh, episode, we've got Sam S and myself and Tom C, and we're talking about a couple of games. We're talking about Feast for Odin and also Heroes of Dominaria. While you were playing uh, family-friendly card games, we got out the biggest game I own, which is <laughs> Feast for Odin. I've, I've actually played this with Sam at the last uh, Tuesday uh, session of the Games Club. Yeah, this was excellent. That's the first time you've played it, isn't it, Sam? It is the first time. Yeah, what did you reckon to it as a... As I was getting all these bits out of the box and showing you this massive <laughs> board with all the options on it, was oh, it man, terrifying? Yeah. <laughs> You know, yeah, it was. It was terrifying, but not not when you started playing it. And um, this is what you said. You said when you learn learning the rules is a pain in the ass. But once you've uh, got the rules down, uh, actually, it flows pretty nicely. And that's exactly what I felt um, when you look at the actions board, uh, which gives you, oh, God, how many actions? Like 40, oh, like six, 40 oh, different action yeah, spaces, something like that. And that's intimidating. And um, a lot of them refer to, you know, other boards. There are another like 10 boards around the table doing to do various different things. The exploration board with with entirely separate islands that you can add to your um, your, your village um, and, so, and so on, other houses that you can build. So, yeah, it is a bit intimidating, but it, it really does flow super smoothly when you actually get down to it. And that's that's what I was really impressed with. Uh, first of all, should we go over the the uh, stats of the game? How many does it play, Tom? Uh, some. Some, played, yeah. It's more two to four. One. <laughs> <laughs> two to four, did you say? I think so. It's in fact you're wrong. It's one I'm to wrong. four. Oh. <laughs> you can play it solo if you want to. Board Game Geek says one to four players. Designer is uh, uh, Mr. Rosenberg. Is it you, you Rosenberg? U E. Uve. Uve. Thank Uwe. you. Uwe Rosenberg, published by Führland Spiel. I shouldn't be reading this out. I can't say anything. It's, <laughs> and it plays. It, it says it says 120 minutes. Um, how long did it take us? Uh, I think it took three hours. I uh, think three yeah. hours it was. Yeah, and I, I feel like that's more accurate. A free, a free 30, player game. What was 30, that? Just because it was your first minutes. game, though. I think so. Partially, but I don't feel like you know. We, we got too hung up on the rules or anything and i don't think anyone was taking too long to take the turns anything like that definitely couldn't play it in 30 minutes which is the minimum time it says on board game geek that's mad on the box i think it says 30 minutes per player so i think the 30 minutes is for the solo uh, game so it was yeah. a three-player oh, yeah. game it could have been an hour and a half that that would make sense yeah yeah excellent game who won in the end i can't even remember i think oh, it wasn't oh yes we we thought it was a draw between me and mike and then mike found an extra point that he hadn't counted so he won just ah oh, sneaky that sneaky extra point and so part of the scoring in this game is around this um tetris like game where you're arranging uh tiles of various shapes uh, on a grid to um cover up negative points and also to to get bonuses and 
I, I pretty much left all my tile arranging until right at the end. And so I spent like 10 minutes at the end trying to arrange my tiles in the best possible way. And I'm pretty sure I could have got that extra two points I needed to, <laughs> to, to be up with you guys. Um, but I uh, didn't, didn't, didn't get that. And that that's really interesting as well. The tile, the tile arranging, that tactile uh, side of things. It's not just a yeah. cerebral uh, worker placement game. Um, you've also got the uh, physical components, which are the uh, precious items of your Viking society. So it's weaponry um, and jewels, things like that. Food. Yeah, a lot of a lot of the part of uh, Victorian of uh, not Victorian Viking Victorian. society was about arranging all your goods. So neatly that they fit in in your in your in your land. Yeah, that was very important <laughs> part of Viking culture. Very <laughs> culture. I know. <laughs> yeah, I was just saying to Rick earlier actually. Um, Rosenberg has sort of done. Uh, he's done a lot of games over the years, uh, and he sort of followed the same idea through several different games, uh, and sort of develops it. Uh, okay. So he doesn't just do. Some people just do one game and then just move on to something totally different. But he sort of. Do, uh, develops the same idea so uh, he, he's obviously one of his biggest games is Agricola where it yeah. uses the um, worker placement and worker placement comes up again in quite a few of his games uh, including Feast Road in uh, so you've got, a cube place, you've got a limited supply of workers you've got to place them on one of the actions available in order to do whatever that action is and then that's, that action space is now no longer available for any other players so you could place it on the thing that enables you to change meat into furs or whatever and so he's developed that through Agricola and Newsfjord and Fields of, Fields of Arl and lots of other games the worker placement thing but he's also done the um, the polyominoes the little Tetris pieces uh, in lots of different games um, of course yeah I, I don't know I don't know if his first one of those was uh, Patchwork which is a really lovely light little two player game uh, takes like half an hour. It's really quick and nice. And then he's also used that same idea in his enormous multi multi hour game. Uh, but he's just he's just developed it and used it in a different context, and it works really well. Yeah, so he's very almost feels feels like a convergence of his ideas into one epic. Yeah. What uh, what has he done recently? I'm just looking through this list. Spring Meadow 2008, Rake Holt 2008. I wonder if these are. Uh, uh, similar sorts of games. Any, either of you played those? No. Oh, no Spring no. Spring Meadows looks again to be about arranging tiles. I've played uh, Cottage Garden. I think Spring Meadow is sort of there's sort of like a, a similar games in a trilogy: Co- uh, Cottage Garden, okay. Spring Meadow, and something else. I can't remember what it was. Uh, so yeah, they're, they're sort of uh, variations on the polyomino theme. But I could definitely play Feast for Odin um, happily again. Even, I mean, three hours for me is just pushing uh, at what I'm comfortable playing in a board game. It's like two hours is nice. You know, that's a nice meaty game that I can get my teeth into. Three hours and my attention starts wandering most of the time. But there are some games that, that you know, if if I manage to keep if they manage to keep my attention through an entire three hour period, that's a really good game in my opinion. And uh, Feast for Odin did that. You haven't played Twilight Imperium yet, have you? I have played Twilight Imperium. <laughs> Twilight, sorry, I played Twilight Imperium with a, a, an iron in the gang once, um, and yeah, I, I was really into it for about two hours, and then it went on for another six hours. <laughs> so, <laughs> not my, not my, not my favourite game. Um, it's fine. It definitely does does its own thing, doesn't it? It's definitely for uh, for, for people who want that big epic experience. Um, I really but, like yeah, it occasionally. I, just have an epic experience like that. Just to yeah, the, the people really like it, it, really like it. Uh, really, yeah, really definitely. And then sometimes yeah. I just want to play. 
20 minute game of no thanks or something <laughs> yeah sounds cool I'd, uh, I'd quite like to try this one it sounds uh, yeah sounds like a good uh, good experience was, was, was that how you played it then was it a three player game yeah so uh, we had an offer of a fourth player but he turned up and he hadn't read the rules so we thought <laughs> right. yeah that's... we could See, spend another hour most... explaining the rules but what what I do love about the club is that um uh, people don't mind that people will play with anybody whether they've read the rules or not and we'll sit down and you can kind of expect at the beginning yeah. of a game at the club that we'll go go through the rules um even if it's a painful experience but, but everyone someone's happy to explain but yeah i think in this case we you'd explicitly said hey guys can you read the rules before we start yeah and, uh, and i knew we were uh, going to be pushing it to get finished anyway uh, so exactly and it's a long game and you can't always fit fit those massive games into a, a club night um especially if it's going to take 30 minutes explaining the rules and you know 15 minutes clarifying them or, or whatever so uh, that was probably the right decision <laughs> um so next game uh, i've got on the list is heroes of dominaria uh which is a game the three of us played together uh so i think mm-hmm. this is a, a good one to talk about Polly, wasn't it yeah i think that's right yeah 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 that's right. Um, so Heroes of Dominaria, it's a game set in the Magic the Gathering universe, a board game set in, in the world of the uh, collectible card game. Uh, two to four players, we played it with four. Um, designed by Peter Lee, the publisher's WizKids. Um, it says 75 to 90 minutes. Uh, how long did our game take? Anyone remember? It was a few weeks ago now. No idea. Two hours, I, I reckon. Something. Yeah, something. Yeah. It wasn't much longer than the, the advertised time. No. Nah. Now, the challenge is explaining this now, because I don't remember it fantastically. I know you have people that go on your board on the spaces and they gather the resources that uh, appear each round based on um, cards that you flip over in a deck. Uh, so the resources, are they, are they just, I think they're just elements, aren't they? It's like fire and wind and stuff like that. Yeah, it's the magic, uh, uh, magic uh, colours. Yeah, the magic colours. Um, yeah. They pop up on the board and you use your workers to go and collect them. And then you use those uh, elements to cast spells, uh, which includes things like building ley lines, which allow you to gather resources from further away on the map, building monoliths uh, that let you give give you a free resource to use for your spells. Um, what else could you build? New new workers, so you can have a little army of meeples spreading across the map, gathering resources all over the place, and you're using those resources and those buildings to complete quests and get get points uh, ultimately i uh, yeah i like this game and i think one of the things that really appealed to me about it is that by the end of the game uh the four of us uh had a different looking position on the map like our colors were all spread out in different ways with different types of buildings um yeah i just had the one dude exactly the that's through. what was impressive i thought tom you just had your one dude but you had ley lines all over the place so you were gathering resources from halfway across the map whereas um i think i had a couple of monoliths which were providing my magic and uh i think me and rick both had quite big armies of meeples as well um and that that really appealed to me having these these different ways uh to win the game what did what did you guys think of it uh yeah i enjoyed it it was good um uh the, the quest cards that you get say things like uh, if you if you you know if you created two monoliths in these two locations then you get you know you get some free points and that's kind of a bit random because you just draw them out of the deck but the way yep. you've got around that is that you draw two and then you pick one so you can pick the best one out of it so uh, yeah it's a bit, it's a bit uh, random in that aspect and you get artifacts as well which I think is a similar sort of thing that like some for your particular strategy will be really powerful and other ones are going to be completely useless so again the way they've got around that is you, you draw two and then you 
you know you pick one out of the out of the two that you you want to keep and then discard the other one so yeah it's it's good yeah it's it's fairly light isn't it it's not really once you get some stuff on the board when you start off it's like really there's not much to do really you kind of move or you pick up something and that's it that's your turn over but as you get more and more stuff out you get more and more options and it gets more complicated as you go on but even then it's not like a massively yeah, it was like a, a nine it's nine turns, and we were on like turn four, and we thinking, haven't really done anything. Go, yeah, yeah. And then it just all uh, snowballs into a, a much bigger game by the end of yeah, it. Yeah, nine turns. Uh, I, I actually like this one. Yeah. I didn't. Um, I have to admit, I would never have sort of chosen to play this. I've, I've never played Magic. I'm not really interested in all the the law behind it. And it, it looked like a game that I thought was going to be more sort of style over substance, but it actually turned out to be yeah. really interesting how yeah. it worked, how it all came together. It's uh, yeah, it's not it's nothing like Magic really. It's nothing no. nothing to do with the mechanics or the card game. The theme really is all that's tying it to the. It's some of the same. Yeah, to the. I, I wondered if they were going to be trying to make a board game that somehow evoked the feeling of playing the card game, and um, I don't think yeah. this is this is that at all. It's more or less a game set in the same universe, but with mm. what feels like quite separate mechanics. Now, I've never actually played Magic: The Gathering, but so this is just a guess essentially. Um, but it definitely seems like a separate thing. Yeah, yeah. There's yeah, there's no relation really between a card game and, and this game. It's it's its own game really. And even the theme doesn't come into it a lot. I wouldn't say it's no. a theme-rich game, despite the uh, the background franchise behind it. Mm. Um, I think Tom was looking at his character, who's some, um, oh, you know, planes walker, pyromancer, uh, and she's got three paragraphs of lore on the back of her card. And yeah. he says, okay, so what's my, what's my player power? And it's like, no, there are no player powers. These, you've all got very separate Yeah, they're all exactly the same. Yeah. Personalities. Yeah, flavor text exactly so indicated that she did completely different things. Like, all her fire magic was uh, was totally different to your water magic. But, <laughs> but no, it's exactly the same character yeah. as all you guys have played. <laughs> Yeah. No relation at all. Um, what you were saying about the randomness of the cards is one of the things that did frustrate me about the quests is that you can pull out a quest that is one you've already completed or you're you know very close to completing. Yeah. And that might give you a swing of points that lets you uh, win the game. Uh, that's the same problem, if you want to call it that. Uh, as Ticket to Ride, um, and also Lords of the Waterdeep, sometimes you just get the right quest at the uh, uh, at the right time, and it feels a little unfair having those kind of swingy random events. Yeah. Um, it, there's no skill in it. Uh, I, did, I did quite like how there were like different kinds of uh, quests. Like there was one where you just do, you, you can build so many things and you complete it, and then there was another one where you can actually start it. So you make a start on it, and then you have to do a couple of things, and then once you've done those things, that's completed then. So some of the quests aren't completed like straight away. I quite like that. Yeah, sometimes you have to take a meeple across the board or mm. something like that, as if they're on an adventure. Yeah. Um, I did like that aspect of it. it. It did feel to me, and I don't know if it's just me being superficial, but it did feel to me similar to Lords of Waterdeep, which I mentioned whilst we played. And Rick, you said you didn't really, you didn't really see it. Mm. Um, maybe it's just because there are meeples and there are colored cubes and there are quests, um, which are all kind of Lords of Waterdeepy things. But it does feel to me a little bit like. Um, Wizards of the Coast, uh, who make Magic the Gathering, kind of said, hey, Dungeons and Dragons, they have a, a board game. Why can't we? Someone go and make something kind of similar. Yeah. And if you put like lines between the action spaces on uh, Lords of Waterdeep and you moved your meeples around, I feel like you'd be looking at very similar games. Yeah, yeah, possibly. Um, but yeah, ov- overall, pr- uh, pretty pretty good time. Um, not my favourite game in the world. Uh, I'll probably 
play other things uh, over it um but uh, not not bad i i, yeah. I kind of wish they had made a game that pulled in more of what makes magic appealing to people because it's such a massive game and it's a very sprawling game that has 10 years of cards um and this didn't really feel like a game that was trying to be that at all uh but i kind of think i would have liked it more if it had been if it pulled from what made magic appealing uh, to all those people yeah. and try to interpret that as a board game yeah. I'm not sure if this was the board game of the card game. I think it was the board game of the novels of the card game, if you see what I mean. Yeah. The whole sort of expanded universe of, of novels written about magic, and they got the law from that and made a new game. There, there yeah. is another one as well. Um, there's the arena game, which is based on Heroescape, the old uh, kind of combat game, uh, okay. and that's based in Magic the Gathering um, uh, kind of universe as well. And that's one where you get like little miniatures and you've got a board and you send the guys around like a bit like a skirmish game, really. You go around and you fight your miniatures and stuff. Uh, that's a, that's a, a, another one that's not really related to magic in anything apart from the theme, really. But I've not, I've not really played that one yet. That's just the one that I've got that I've just got on the, uh, on the to play shelf. I do want to play some Magic the Gathering, having having played here as a Dominaria, actually. Um, so I've just oh, started no. downloading, it's downloading, it's downloading it. At the no, moment. don't bother. <laughs> magic the Gathering Arena. So uh, unless I'll, you've I'll got deep pockets, um, you can. It, the Arena is a free-to-play version of it, kind of like Hearthstone. Um, but oh, they do okay. have uh, an online version called Magic the Gathering Online, where you have to buy everything. It's like a very literal interpretation of you know the physical card game in in into a digital game um where you have to buy cards individually and pay for your whole deck um so yeah you you kind of you you, you're still paying the same money but you're just getting a digital card you don't have actual you don't have an actual collection wow flick through it's all yeah all online Oh well, I'll, I'll get back to you to see if um to to, to let you know if, uh, if if it draws me and if I fall down the rabbit hole. <laughs> I've got no room in my life for a lifestyle game. Yeah, no. Yeah. I suppose legacy games are kind of, in a sense, taking that place for some board gamers uh, that CCGs do for um uh, well for people who play those sorts of games. You know, games that you keep coming back to again and again. Um, so I suppose in a sense you could consider those lifestyle games. Yeah, they've got a limited um, lifestyle though. A limited lifespan because you only play it for uh, up until the end of the campaign and then stop. So um, it's a bit different in that way. Yeah, but it is coming coming back to the same game over and over again, and it encourages that, um, which is what I like about legacy games because uh, a lot of the time you get the most out of a board game um, by playing it several times and learning it in and out and playing it with the same people as well who uh, who know it as well as you do. Um, but I feel like we don't always get the chance to do that when there's always a new shiny uh, board game coming out every um, you know every week uh, that we want to try out. So the number of games that I've played more than uh, well more than once is probably like less than fifty percent of the games I've played. Probably way less actually, more than twice. Yeah, same, um, same for me, so, I think. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I think too a legacy, legacy games encouraging that is good for you. Too, too many you good games playing? as well. Yeah, definitely. We're yeah. in a golden age. Yeah. Apparently, yeah. apparently so, yeah. 